of Theology Doesn't Suck. I am one of your hosts, Josh Patterson, and with me as most of the time, as always, kind of sometimes, is Andy Herman. How's it going, Andy? I'm doing well. You know, Josh, I think that was probably one of your best, smoothest intros yet. You did, you did <laughs> really? a pretty I good job. I thought it was terrible. Yeah. I'm, oh, goodness. That was better. That was much better. You're improving. I'll give you like a B Sweet. plus. Well, I appreciate it. B plus. I'll mm-hmm. take a B plus. Yeah, that was that's a good grade. Very smooth. Um, yeah, my parents will be proud. Yeah, I'm sure they would. You should you should write them a letter. <laughs> let them know how you're doing. Uh, <laughs> so, um, gosh, what's new with you, Josh? How are things going? <sighs> things are good, man. Um, they're kind of hectic. I don't know if you can see behind me, but uh, in my whatever room this is, the guest room slash recording studio. Are tons of boxes all piled up? Yeah. Uh, because my wife and I will be moving back home to Maryland here within the next, uh, I guess, within a month or so. Nice. Uh, you know, for our listeners who don't know, we're currently in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, we're originally from Maryland. Uh, I accepted a, a position at a church in Maryland uh, as a high school slash young adult pastor. So we'll be heading back there in June. Yeah. And so. That's crazy. It's exciting. That's what's new. Very exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. You're going to Montgomery yeah. County, though, you know, very different. Much more uh, uh, densely populated than where you're from in Maryland. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. But at least I, I have the experience of being in MoCo before. That's true. You do. Yeah. Also, for the listeners, if they don't know, that's where you and I met, it Andy. It is. Good old Maryland. Um, right on. But one other thing, I, one other thing I wanted to mention. Well, speaking of how I'm doing, though, also I see you're wearing your Washington <laughs> Capitals sweatshirt, and I, it's Woo! unfortunate to know that they got knocked out of the playoffs in the first round. They did. Uh, but you know they who's did. not out of the playoffs, Josh? Is the Colorado Avalanche still in it? We're tied one-one <laughs> with the Sharks. We got a game tomorrow. Things are good. It's a good time to be an Avalanche fan. Let me just tell you, all the years of suffering have paid off. Um, that's true. So that's good. I'd, oh. And to keep my promise to you, Andy, and also to Justin oh, yeah. from PTN. We said it at the end of the episode. Oh, can I say it now? Say it at the end. Well, I'll say it at the, say end. It at the end. All right. We'll, we'll leave that as a surprise. All right. All right. Um, but speaking of surprises, <laughs> we have a very exciting guest with us today, Mr. Zach Hunt. Zach, how are you doing? Doing great, man. How are you guys doing? Doing well. We're excited to have you on today. Um, before we dive into anything, though, we have an, a very important question to ask you. Uh, the question that will determine your eternal destiny. Um, <laughs> and you have to give an answer, even if you feel like you don't have one. That's what I tell every guest. But uh, what, is your favorite, what is your favorite hockey team? Oh, that's easy. The Predators. Okay, there you go. I, he has an answer. I'm, that's, I appreciate that. So Yeah, that's good. How do you feel about the, uh, the postseason, the, the quick out that the Predators had this year? <laughs> yeah, I mean it was it was disappointing. Um, you know, I, it's hard to match the high of the Stanley Cup run, you know, from a couple years of ago. Of course, yeah, um, yeah. That was just. I, excuse me, I, I'm a big sports fan, but I've never been a big hockey fan. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, until they kind of came to town, and you know, their games are um, fun to watch, but even better in person. And uh, you know, it was it was awesome. You know, their run a couple years ago, but this year they is underperformed. You know, like. Mm. I, it's kind of. I think a lot of the beat writers here are trying to figure out, you know, what exactly went wrong. That's kind of been the the million dollar question. So it, it wasn't a huge shock that they got knocked out just because of the way they've been playing the past couple months. Um, but it was definitely disappointing. You know, I thought they'd at least make it to the second round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my Washington Capitals, you know, the defending Stanley Cup champions, were knocked out in the first round. Uh, but Carolina, to be fair, Carolina has been doing well. Um, and they're up 2-0 on the aisles, so we'll see where it goes. But <laughs> Sweet. All right, well, anyway, um, since our, our hockey uh, nonsense is over, uh, if you could real quick, Zach, just kind of give us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, what do you do, you know, what's your family like, that kind of stuff, just so uh, we can kind of get to know you a little bit better. Sure. I'm... Um a bald, overweight, rapidly approaching forty parent of two. <laughs> All um, right. 
<laughs> so I uh, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, which is a um, Wesleyan denomination, very similar in a lot of ways to United Methodist Church. Um, I am ordained currently in that denomination, go to one of the churches. I'm not on staff anywhere, um, just kind of do, you know, help out here and there. But I live in Nashville, which is my hometown. We just moved back, uh, my wife and kids and I, a couple years ago from Connecticut. Um, she's a doctor, and I'm a stay-at-home dad um, at the moment. I've got one kid in pre-K and one starting next year, so I'm looking forward to actually having some quiet time around the house to get something done. <laughs> That's right nice. On. That's very nice. Um, and so you said you were ordained. Have you served like as a pastor at times then? Or yeah, as a youth pastor, um, just okay. youth ministry. Cool. Awesome. Sweet. Youth ministry is where it's at. Yeah, I love being a youth pastor. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I do currently. And, nice. Uh, yeah. Well, um, speaking of youth, Josh, you know what the youth of today really don't like to do? Do <laughs> you have a guess? Read. Uh, read. Kids read. today hate that's reading. True. And uh, we're going to actually be talking today about a book uh, written mm. written by Zach um, called <laughs> Unraptured. So I, have, I, I feel like I have to explain this every time I have a guest. I do ridiculous transitions to our topic. That's my thing. Um, so, <laughs> so there you go. There's that one. Uh, so we're going to be More for about, your thing. That's our thing. <laughs> talking about a book um, <laughs> called Unraptured that Zach wrote. Um, and, you know, based on the title, I feel like the title is helpful because it gives a hint of what the book is about. Um, <laughs> but but I don't know, Zach, if if it would maybe be helpful to start just by giving us a basic overview of maybe of what that book is and how it came about. Sure. Um, the book, in a lot of ways, is the culmination of my writing for the past you know, eight or nine years. Um, you know, it's ostensibly about the rapture and end time theology, and, and it's definitely about that, but it's also, you know, part spiritual memoir and ultimately just, you know, a book uh, uh, about Christian discipleship, you know, and trying to, you know, offer a vision of Christianity that's relevant, you know, to the here and now and um, something that matters, you know, something that's that's not overly spiritualized or overly personalized, but something that, that, that really can change the world. Um, and so the, the book chronicles the story of my faith. Um, in high school and middle school, I got really into the rapture, uh, really into end times theology, breaking down, you know, all the prophetic charts and secret codes that I thought were in the Bible and, you know, picking out who I thought was the Antichrist and when Jesus was going to turn <laughs> and all that good stuff. And, um, yeah, I had a, a crisis of faith. Uh, in college when a, a professor very gently um, informed me that my theology was just a little off base. And um, that that led me down the you know, long, winding road to find a faith that, that was really worth believing in. And so the book hopefully works on two levels. One is trying to break down a lot of end times theology um, because whether you believe it or not, it really matters. It has a lot of impact, particularly in the United States, um, on public policy because conservative evangelicalism from which it springs um, has a large voice in American government. And so it impacts things from um, you know, relationships with Israel and what goes on there to uh, environmental policy. And so there's, half the book is that, is, is breaking down end times theology and looking at, at what it is and why it's, it's off base and, and how it impacts the world that we live in. And then the other is trying to offer, like I said, you know, a, a, a healthier version of Christianity than I think exists um, for the large part right now. Awesome. Um, so, Josh, you you are the one who, I, I'll be honest, Josh Josh told me about this show fairly last minute, so I have not had the chance to read your book yet. Josh has oh, I'm hanging book. up then. Um, um, the, yeah, sorry. Uh, Here, Josh, you can read it through the, through it through the, the Skype, Skype window, right Andy. Okay. <laughs> what yeah. if I just read it out loud to everyone? Would yes. that be a good episode? Um, I have to charge so, you for that. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, is that oh, against yeah. copyright rules or like, anything? Are you going to get a royalty for every download the episode gets then? Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. That um, would be nice. I wish Andy and I could get yeah, royalties for every should, time our episode is downloaded. <laughs> um, so, Josh, I was going to ask you, though, how did you come across this book? And, like, what, I guess, what were your thoughts with it in connection to getting Zach onto the show and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. So, um as you know, our listeners know, um, I have this problem where Amazon sends books to my house all the time, and I, I tell my wife I don't know how it happens. It just gets sent. 
I must yeah. be a special member That's or rough. something. <laughs> but anyway, um, looking, I was on Amazon and I was looking through my feed and like some suggestions for you or whatever. And it was right, it was right before, actually it was a couple months before the book came out. Um, so not to kiss your butt or anything, Zach, but I pre-ordered <laughs> your book. <laughs> I'm just telling the story. So I, I saw it. I was like, wow, this looks really interesting. Um, I had read some stuff in the, in the past, uh, um, a book by Michael Gorman called Reading Revelation Responsibly. Uh, which I found really helpful. And so I was like, oh, you know, this this looks great. So I, I ordered it. Um, and then when it came, I, I mean, honestly, I couldn't put it down. I, I read it uh, within two days. That's awesome. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was, I think you did a really great job, Zach. It's really well written. Um, I think it's written at a level um, that takes big, difficult concepts and, and brings them down, uh, you know, so that normal people like myself can understand them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, uh, so it was really great. And so, um, just after reading through it, um, I actually, it was weird. I had students, um, in my student ministry asking questions about the rapture. And then I had, um, my cousin like was sending me texts, like freaking out about stuff, you know, about the rapture. And I was like, Oh, it's really interesting. I just read this book. Um, and I was like, I wonder if, if Zach would come on the show so we could, um, you know, talk to him and, and try to help, you know, those students and also my cousin. Um, but also, I just think it was a great book and I really wanted to personally talk to you about it. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thanks for buying it. Thanks yeah. for having me on. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Josh, first of all, I just wanted to interject there. You know, that crazy coincidence is almost like God providentially ordained the timing <laughs> there. It's crazy. Um, uh, so yeah. I- one might one might could say that you, you might say that. Um, anyway, you might. Yeah, but, very good. But Zach, I thought maybe would you mind expanding a little on, and it can be through the form of kind of your personal history with it, or more of like the theological basis of kind of the problem of rapture theology, or or like kind of typical American end time theology as it exists, like what it is, and like maybe some of the problems or tensions it can cause, as you've encountered it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the fundamental problem with it is that, you know, rapture theology is is all about escape and the gospel is all about incarnation. Um, You know, the rapture is all about, you know, getting away from here up to heaven. Um, But the gospels are all about the heaven coming down to earth. I mean, that's why Jesus teaches us to pray, not, you know, hey, you're ready to leave one day, but, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, you know, as it is in heaven. And so the problem with the rapture beyond that is that it, it creates a faith uh, an idea of salvation and the gospel that are really irrelevant um, to life here and now, at least from a like communal, um, global kind of perspective. I mean, it's relevant to me, you know, an individual here and now, so that I can feel assured that I'm not going to hell or that I'm going to be raptured. Um, but it's not a gospel that has any implications um, for life in the here and now, because all of its implications are, you know after death or after the rapture and it's all about you know eternity and so it also give because of that it gives us you know get out of discipleship free card so to speak (laughs) you know it doesn't really matter what we do here it doesn't matter if we take care of creation um like we've been called to do you know you know because you know jesus is going to come and start all over again um it creates machiavellian ethics where the end justifies the means so for example um the recent move of the u.s embassy from tel aviv to jerusalem uh, was done in, in no small part to appeal to um, the president's conservative evangelical base that, that sees it as a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, and, it's, and it's not, um, but because they, because they believe it and, and they have a voice in the White House at the moment, it happened. And as a result, 60 people, 60 some odd people um, died during protests. But that's okay because it fulfills prophecy, right? And so, you know, it's a very Machiavellian ethic too. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a litany of problems that, that spring out of it. But the fundamental problem is that it's a theology all about escape. And because it is, it's a theology that stands in complete contradiction to the gospel of incarnation. Hmm. So just out of curiosity, I'll preface this with saying I am not at all like a dispensational rapture theology kind of guy. Um, but I'm just just to kind of check, like look into your theology more, too. Would you say, do you believe that for Christians, our ultimate hope is still in eternity and not in this life? Or do you think the gospel is primarily about this life? Well, I think it's a both and. Um, you know, I think the gospel is about, you know, the, the merging of heaven and earth of, of God restoring creation to what it was intended to be. Um, you know, I, I would definitely follow along, you know, the lines of N.T. Wright's theology. If you've read surprised by hope or, 
Um, Fantastic Josh, book. Josh yeah, I mean, loves N.T. Wright. <laughs> <laughs> I do. He's my favorite. He's great. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's why I like your book so much, too, Zach. Oh, yeah. No, I'm totally ripping of off his ideas. Uh, I can't even lie. Uh, but and he talks a lot about heaven not being the destination, you know, um, but, you know, a... I forget how he puts it, but it, I mean, it's about merging, you know, of the two. It, it's not a, you know, end of this life and then, you know, move on to something different. I mean, that's why Revelation doesn't say, you know, we die and then there's heaven. It's a new heaven and a new earth, mm-hmm. you know, not just a new heaven. So, uh, you know, I think there's absolutely implications for this life and the next. I think the problem is that we've so over-spiritualized the gospel that the implications for this life have been um, lost and in a lot of ways nullified. Hmm. Okay. So, and this is a question maybe both of you could answer. Um, a lot of times when I hear that, that kind of language, like NT right, kind of the, like the continuity between like bringing heaven down to earth and eternity, kind of that sort of thing that you're just talking about. Um, I think of post millennialism, which so the idea that uh, the, w- the world will just keep getting better and better and better until we usher in the full kingdom of God. Is that where, either of you would say you fall or the idea that you're trying to express there, or is it something different? I would say it's something different. I think it's an extension of my belief in the resurrection. You know, the, the, the crisis of faith that I had in college was me sitting with a professor and he says, you know, uh, I, I, what happened was I spilled unrequested all my uh, deepest theological thoughts on the end times, like all my okay. chart form, all my predictions, all my candidates for the Antichrist. I went on for like 20 minutes before I think I took a breath. And he said, you know, I love those. I like those guys. You know, I love their their love for scripture. You know, they clearly care, you know, about their faith. But he said the problem is they're trying to pinpoint places on a map that simply doesn't exist. He says, you know, yeah. we do. They're right. We live in the end times, but we have ever since Jesus walked out of the tomb. And so yeah. a lot of the book is, is wrestling with trying to answer that question. Um, and so for me, it's, it's really ultimately a, a sacramental kind of thing in the sense of like in the, you know, in the Eucharist or in communion, we are in the present doing a uh, reenacting a past event to proclaim a future hope. And mm-hmm. so when I talk about these practical implications, this bringing the kingdom of God down to earth, you know, I think there's a lot of overlap there between not these super big words, but eschatology and, and sacramental theology. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because what, what we're doing is saying something changed when Jesus walked out of the tomb and we are trying to profess that truth of the resurrection in the way that we live. Now that doesn't mean that things are progressively getting better. And in, you know, a hundred years, you know, we're going to be really close and then Jesus will come back because then you end up with, you know, a, a theology that's not really all that different than dispensationalism. You know, it's really mm-hmm. just the other side of the same, of the same coin. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely believe, that God is at work in the world and that something changed after the resurrection. Uh, but, but that compl- but we're not like, I don't see us as being in this sort of trajectory or arc of progress towards, okay. towards the second coming. If, if that makes sense. It's not like human progress is going to usher in the kingdom of God. No. Right. And that's what I mean by it would be kind of the, the other side of the same coin. So, you yeah. know, the one dispensationalism is, oh, well, if we fulfill all these prophecies and Jesus has come back and then, the, you know, the other coin, other side of the coin would be what you're talking about, where if we just keep being better and better, then Jesus is going to come back. And, and I definitely would not affirm either one of those positions. OK, cool. Yeah, I would tend to uh, agree with Zach as well, Andy, to answer your question. Um, and one one helpful way, maybe this will be helpful. I'll do my best to explain it without visuals. Um, but my understanding is that, you know, in the beginning, um, heaven and earth were one and they kind of, uh, became separate. And we, you know, we talk about that as the fall, you know, with sin. And so they were just picture as like two things, once overlapping, they're now separate. Once we had things like, um, you know, like temples and the tabernacle, those are places where heaven and earth could overlap again. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? And then uh, what we see in Jesus, uh, you know, when it says that Jesus came in and tabernacled amongst us is what, it, you know, it literally says is that he was basically a, a little like pocket of heaven, if you will, where a place where heaven and earth would overlap and Jesus was going out into the world and creating these little pockets of heaven. And so then as believers, um, to use your word, Andy, when we're regenerated, when we're given a regenerated heart and the Holy Spirit uh, is dwelling amongst us, we are also called back into our original, what we originally created to be image bearers of God so that we can, um, you know, essentially 
help create those little pockets of heaven on earth. Right. And like the uh, church is talked about as a temple as well. Right. Where, those where kind of God's things. Yeah. I, so I, I see where you're going with that. You know what? I think Josh, I don't want to be too, <laughs> doesn't mean, I think I can think of the exact Bible project video that you're, uh, quoting. you're exactly right. My <laughs> friend, you're exactly right. That's such but a helpful tool. It's a helpful. No, it's a good video. I appreciate, I appreciate the resource, but that was, you explained it well without visuals. Good job. Hooray. If you don't, so if you don't know what Andy's uh, telling me that I ripped off, which I 100% did rip off, go look up the video called Heaven and Earth by the Bible Project. YouTube it. Go to their website. They're fantastic. Uh, but that video is, is super helpful. Okay. So, yeah, hopefully that helps answer your question, Andy. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, it's, that is helpful. I, I mean, I've kind of asked similar questions before, but it's always helpful for me to understand some of those distinctions, I think, in, mm-hmm. in some of... I don't know what label to put on it, but your guys' theology, your guys' eschatology. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Zach, I guess I wanted to ask you if you could um, kind of ele- like elaborate what, like what led to just so people like kind of know your background, where you were. You've touched on it, but what what kind of led to um, your interest and like the, the amount of time and energy and effort that you put into, you know, like the charts and the, I forget the name of the TV show said you would always tune into like that kind of stuff. What led to that? What kind of, what did that, what did that point in your life look like for you? A fear of hell, to be honest. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up in the sort of, um, stereotypical like turn or burn fire and damnation fundamentalist uh kind of context that that i think a lot of people who have similar stories to mine did um there was definitely a lot of fundamentalists around me i grew up in a you know fairly conservative um tradition and definitely heard my fair share of turn or burn uh sermons um, but growing up in the Nazarene Church, our big doctrine is the doctrine of we call entire sanctification or, or holiness, and you know, this is John Wesley, and we take it and, and say that you know there's this this idea that that we are called to live apart from sin, and that you know that's potentially possible in this life, and without going down that rabbit hole, um, <laughs> you know that that puts obviously a lot of pressure on you if you if you feel like you know God has called you to be. Uh, sinless, you know, or not live or live without sin. You know, you start filling in those blanks, and then you start saying, "Well, if I sin, then I'm going to hell. Like, if I do any sin, right, then yeah. then I'm going to hell." Um, and so, you, you know, I'm working on that track, right? Growing up, of okay, I've got to be as perfect as I can, and then um, so that I can go to heaven and not go to hell. But then the end time stuff creeps in as like a backup plan for salvation. So, you know, mm-hmm. if I if I do sin once or twice here, well, I've got this guarantee because if I, if I believe all the right things, because my understanding of salvation then, and I think a lot of us understand salvation is, is when we say we're saved by faith alone, then what we really mean in effect is I'm saved by believing the right things, you know? And right. so that's certainly how I understood salvation growing up was I believe Jesus, you know, was born of a virgin, died and rose again and, you know, could, can, you know, recite the apostles creed. And, and so, if, if that was true, if I was saved by the right ideas, well, here's this, you know, these extra right ideas, right? This, this super secret knowledge of, you know, end times theology that if I can get this right, then I can get, you know, have, uh, uh, like I said, like a backup plan for salvation. Cause I knew I was going to make some mistakes here and there, but if I had all the right ideas and I affirmed all the right things in sola fide, you know, um, salvation by faith alone, I'm, I'm good to go. So it was really, I mean, it was a fear of hell. You know, I, I thought that if I could just figure out the right timing, then I can make sure I wasn't sinning at that point in time and Jesus came back and my soul would be pure and I wouldn't go to hell. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Fear. I think the, uh, the fear driven thing, I, I tend to find that common too amongst students uh, who bring these kind of questions to me or, or have a, uh, overly invested interest in the rapture or, um, have got caught up, you know, <laughs> caught up. That's a pun. Not on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, caught up, so to speak, in, into these kind of things. There, A lot of it seems to be fear-based. Um, that's They have this genuine fear. But then also what's interesting is I think the rapture itself, This so maybe we should define that for people who might not know what we're talking about. So I'll, I'll see if you can do that in a second for us, Zach. Just tell us what we mean by rapture. Uh, but it seems to me that that also is, is quite a scary thing. Um, like you, you referenced in your book, um, you know, you, you woke up, uh, 
one day and nobody was in your house and you were freaking out running around you thought the rapture had happened and then you said you opened the back door and your I think you said your dad or somebody was cutting the grass right and uh, you said oh thank God they're cutting the grass <laughs> and so it, that generates fear as well um, so I thought that was really interesting because I told uh, one of my coworkers that actually Andy I told Chad. Um, and Chad was like, wow, that's crazy. I literally had the same experiences <laughs> growing up multiple times. Really? I woke up from a dream. Yeah, woke up from a dream. No one was home. Thought the rapture happened. It was like freaking out. Wow. So it's a, a very real thing. I guess I, <laughs> I could say I'm blessed. I haven't, I had not had that experience. Me either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and like you said, friend Chad, like it, it was not a one-time thing. I mean, it was, <sighs> you know, any time that... You know, I thought my parents were supposed to be home or my friends were supposed to meet me or, you know, I overslept and you know, I woke up and didn't hear anybody. I mean, I assume the truck. I mean, honestly, if there was like a really loud noise outside, I was worried it was the <laughs> trumpet blast. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it was. Yeah, no, it's it sounds ridiculous. But like when you're in that world, it, you know, it all makes sense, yeah. even though it makes no sense at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I t- absolutely. So I guess to to talk about, too, just what rapture theology is, in case we have any listeners who don't know, um, I mean, really briefly, and Zach, correct me if I'm misrepresenting anything, but uh, basically, dispensationalists, people who have this theology, would, would say there's like this certain set of prophecies and conditions that need to be fulfilled, and then Jesus will come back, and the faithful will be like zapped off the earth and up into heaven, and the unfaithful will be left to endure a tribulation and, like, you know, deal with the Antichrist and have a really bad time for seven years. Um, and then and there's a whole <laughs> bunch of other timeline stuff they have. Like, Jesus will come back again. There'll be this giant battle. Then Jesus will reign for a thousand years. There'll be another giant battle, etc. But, um, but the idea, I mean, I'm imagining the idea of being left behind to suffer through the tribulation while all your friends and family are up in heaven. Uh, it's probably not a an appetizing idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, so I mean, is that where a lot of the fear comes from? Just that idea of, I mean, to, to reference the cliche movie and book series to be of being left behind. Is that where the fear comes from? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, I, I don't think you can overstate the role of fear in, you know, throughout the history of Christianity, but particularly American you know, Christianity today, you know, your fear of being left behind, you know, a fear of um, going to hell, a fear of letting people down, you know, a fear of being wrong, you know, fear is a really powerful force, um, mm-hmm. regardless if you're worried about being left behind or not. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think too, um, I think it's interesting you keep uh, referencing like American Christianity, American Christianity, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that this idea of rapture is something that is, is almost like only taught within the United States. Like my understanding of rapture theology, at least is very American centric. You kind of hinted at that before talking about how it deals with our foreign policy and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's really interesting um, because, and again, uh, help me out cause I'm going to forget the name, but, uh, the rapture, like this idea of rapture was invented probably somewhere around 500 ish years ago. Oh, not even uh, that, that not long even ago. That long. Not even that long ago. Okay. So even, even closer than that. Um, and it, it started in Europe and was brought here. Is that correct? Kind of. So it's, it starts, um, in the 1850s, 1860s, um, with a Scottish preacher named John Darby. Um, there he is, John Darby. John, yeah. yeah. So he, he, up until that point, the church only ever taught, um, like a one stage return of Jesus. And so that would be the second coming. So it's important, right. you know, if people aren't clear that distinguish between the rapture and the second coming. So if I say, I don't believe in the rapture, that does not mean that I don't believe in the return of Jesus. It just means I don't believe that there's a two stage process. I don't think Jesus is coming halfway down the clouds, turning around, coming back and then coming back again. Um, but yeah, so Darby invents this idea, um, you know, in the 1860s or 1850s, 1860s and brings it to the United States and that's where it catches fire. Now, I mean, you can definitely find rapture theology all around the world these days, but it is okay. most definitely an American export. Um, you know, most of the 
uh, you know, all the, obviously all the movies and books and stuff are, are American products, but it right. is it it grows in the fertile soil of the the Civil War and Reconstruction and and the kind of apocalyptic landscape of of that you know time period, very kind of literally apocalyptic time period, uh, and you know and it grows. It, it really takes off you know during the Third Great Awakening with revivalism and things like that, and then you know once you hit like the 1960s and 70s and you've got the Cold War, you've got you know the threat of uh, nuclear annihilation, then you get people like Hal Lindsey that show up with like Great Planet <laughs> Earth, and, and then it's just this sort of never-ending cycle of 88 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1988, the Left Behind mm-hmm. series, Kirk Cameron, Nick Cage. You know, it, it's now it's gone from this kind of fringe evangelist to you know a multi-million if not billion dollar industry yeah yeah people people make a lot of uh, money off of it i noticed i saw a video actually the other day um it was like a pastor and he was he's selling it's a famous dude he got in trouble a while back jim baker he's it might be he's selling like coffee and buckets yep that's him um yeah, and if so, if you buy this coffee, it'll be good currency for after the rapture happens. And <laughs> he promised that if you trade one packet of coffee, you could get a car with Wait, it. Wait, hold <laughs> on, so they're selling these buckets. It must be good coffee. If you're yeah, se- if you're setting be really up for really after damn good the coffee. rapture, aren't you? If you're setting up for after the rapture, aren't you like assuming that you're not? A believer, then you're already well, way overthinking all this. I'm you just so kind of have to believe and go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then I guess the distinction would be too, because then you get into like the the pre-trib and post-tribulation right, kind of stuff. After, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you would still be part of the tribulation. So I guess he would be the post-tribulation group where he, they, you know, the faithful Christians have to deal with the tribulation. It gets really confusing. That but then wacky. Jesus comes back. They get raptured. Yay. Um, Oh. Yeah, it's just and that's it. Just shows like how how crazy and intricate this thing has become. Yeah, and um, also too once if you I th- I feel like if you start with that as your frame of reference, with that as your understanding, and then you bring that to scripture, you can. I don't want to say you find what you're looking for, but you can make things fit. Yeah, well, I guess you could say. And and it seems to me that it's. Rapture theology is heavily tied to a way of interpreting the Bible, too, dispensationalism. Like, you don't really encounter rapture theology within churches who interpret the Bible, like, within the framework of covenant theology or other frameworks. Like, it's pretty much just dispensationalism, where they chop the Bible up into these, like, like, totally separate, unrelated dispensations, and they have this, like, weird idea of, like... and And it leads to weird ideas about Israel and the church and how they relate. Right. Um... And, and that leads, I feel like, to a lot of the weird end times theology and a lot of the weird foreign policy stuff we see with Israel, too. Like, I don't <laughs> it's so like mind boggling to me to think that some Christians think that like the modern nation state Israel is the Old Testament kingdom of Israel. <laughs> but the name's the same, man. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's just so bizarre. So bizarre. Yeah, no, um, that's interesting. And I, I want to talk more about, like, some of the implications as to why, you know, having this conversation matters yeah, um, wait, a little bit later on. We can go that. I was actually going to – I was going to go there kind of next too. So so okay, why cool. do you – yeah, so Zach, maybe if you want to dive into a little bit of that now, why why was this important to address or why is this an important thing to talk about? Right. So, you know, a couple different reasons. You know, one is – the personal level, you know, the individual level. I mean, like I said before, you know, evangelicalism in particular is so um, hyper individualized and hyper spiritualized Christianity yeah, um, yeah. that it, it's become a gospel of me, you know, and, and my Absolutely. soul and my salvation, you know, and my eternal destination. And so, you know, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, ultimately, I mean, if you look at the equation, you know, right belief equals salvation, well, there's not really any need for actual need for discipleship, um, you know, let alone like loving and caring for the least of these uh, in that equation that all those things kind of get pushed down as like secondary, like we all agree that they're good things, but they're not really necessary for our salvation because faith alone, right? Um, and so, you know, that was part of it is trying to get us to be stop being so narcissistic in our faith, you know, or stop all the navel gazing that I think that dominates a lot of 
um, you know, at least the evangelicalism, you know, that I grew up in that, that's very me focused and trying yeah, to have yeah. a faith that's more other focused. Um, because, I mean, to me, that's what Jesus is just pl- proclaiming the entire time he's here. And then, you know, Paul picks up particularly in you know, Philippians two have the same mind in you as Christ Jesus. Um, but then the other is are these these big picture, you know, issues of. Uh, you know, whether it's climate change or, you know, foreign policy or, um, you know, domestic policy, there, there's all sorts of, you know, horrible things that get condoned and, and sanctified in the name of Jesus because, you know, they supposedly fulfill some prophecy that, like you were saying before, isn't even in Scripture. It, it's all read into there. It's, you know, the, the dispensationalists are, are, have these predetermined, you know, time frames and ideas and, and really even prophecies that need to happen. And then they just go back to scripture and find all the proof text. Um, right. And so the crazy thing is, you know, we're talking about a pretty small minority of people, even within the church that, that buy into this stuff, yeah. you know, because I, I meet people all the time that grew up in the church and are diehard Christians are like, you know, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. That was not my <laughs> experience. And so it's a small thing. But the crazy thing is, again, that, that, that this small minority has a disproportionate impact influence on American mm-hmm. policy. So like you were alluding earlier, the TV show that I used to watch, uh, Jack Van Impey presents. That's and, what it is. Yeah. yeah. And so Jack is this guy who has a show on TBN. Now he's on YouTube, I think. And you know, it's, it's pretty right wing. If you turn it on, it, it's really just a, um, a, prof- a, a end times version of Fox news. Um, <laughs> but, but he claims to have, uh, advised the Bush White House, you know, during like the Iraq invasion, because again, that's Middle East stuff. So anything in the Middle East affects prophecy, you know, and then we mentioned before with Trump moving, you know, the embassy and you immediately heard people excited because that somehow filled prophecy because, you know, what we really need is for Israel to take over Jerusalem and that way they can take over the Temple Mount and they can rebuild the temple and then Jesus will be happy and come back. And, and, you know, I mean, we, we get dragged into wars, people die, the environment crashes, um, you know, because of this, this really dangerous theology and like i said yeah. the wild part is it's it's a very small minority of people that have a really um outsized influence it's all the, the rich of baptists that's what it's, it was. <laughs> the, it's all the rich baptists they're the problem <laughs> you just gotta get rid of some of the rich baptists man uh, i would really and for things. any for any rich baptist uh listening to our show if you would like to sow a seed of a million dollars <laughs> sow a seed. so that uh <laughs> Oh, boy. Can, um, we're selling coffee buckets, too. I, I would like to say, just in case any of my Reformed Baptist friends are listening, I'm not lumping you in with them. Just for the um, but anyway, so so what's kind of the then, and I suspect we might have some areas of disagreement, which could lead to some interesting discussion, but what's kind of the alternative vision that you're trying to cast in the second half of the book, then? Uh, if I'm, I believe that's what you said, kind of the second half of the book is, right? So... What's what's your kind of alternative that you try to present? Um, you know, I, I'm trying to recapture the the practical heart of the gospel. You know, uh, one thing I talk about a lot, um, you know, or a theme that I come back to a lot is the idea of, of the gospel being good news to the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the fact that. You know, people like me who are middle class, straight white guys just really don't understand what that means. Um, you know, we can wax poetically about it, but it, it, a lot of times it's just poetic. You know, mm-hmm. we or we we couch poor and poverty in spiritual terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we come to a book like Revelation and we struggle to understand it, uh, you know, part of that is the apocalyptic liturgy, and part of it is you know the two thousand years that separate us from the author. But a lot of it is again, it, it wasn't written to us. You know, not just time wise, mm-hmm. but um, you know. As, as a middle class straight white guy living in the United States, like I don't really suffer from oppression or marginalization or you know any of the the um, the things that are promised liberation from in the Book of Revelation. And so you know my my hope, what I'm trying to uh, you know do in in the second half of the book is to get people to see how profoundly practical the gospel is and how it has the effect or has the ability to affect our lives here and now. And that, you know, the people Jesus, you know, um, warned or, or, or cautioned against and told to, you know, take heed and to be worried, um, you know, weren't just the religious leaders. They were the, the privileged and, and the well-off. I mean, there are people like you and me, 
Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm hoping to reorient, you know, our understanding of the gospel, um, you know, away from this hyper-spiritualized, hyper-individualized understanding of salvation into understanding of salvation as an invitation, you know, so that salvation stops being mm-hmm. a finish line where, you know, I'm saved and that's it. That's the whole point of Christianity. But the salvation is a calling, that it's an invitation to be uh, involved in this, like, you know, kingdom coming to earth work. Um, and so, yeah, I want us to begin to see how. Um, see what it really means for the gospel to be good news to the poor. Like how, how are we helping the least of these? Because if, you know, Jesus is right about what will happen on judgment day. And, you know, as a Christian, I, you know, believe that he is, um, you know, <laughs> his, his description of judgment day doesn't involve us, you know, affirming any beliefs or even confessing them as Lord, which is a crazy thing to think about. Um, it's, I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was thirsty. Did you give me something to drink? And so if that's not at the center of our gospel, then I'm not sure how Christ like our gospel really is. Hmm. So, so just out of curiosity, just because I want to, maybe we'll see if we throw some contrast. Right, would you say that gospel <laughs> is something we do? Yes, I mean I, I would say it's it's something that we proclaim for okay. sure, but yeah. we proclaim yeah. with our actions as much or more than we do with our, our words. Like I, I'm mm-hmm. more interested in how you're living the gospel than how you're talking about it. Hmm. So like, I don't think people go to hell for bad ideas. Um, you know, one thing that I was really involved in, like you've seen in the early part of the book is I was really used to be really into heresy hunting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I loved you know, getting into deep theological arguments. Like in college, I would call up TBN people um, and like <laughs> argue with them on their prayer line. And like, nice. I, I was, I was the worst man. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> but then like, I get, Andy, you should do that. Yeah. No, it, that could be I an just, episode where cr- like Frank calling TBN. <laughs> it's, it's, it's addicting. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Um, but you know, like I, you know, in graduate school, we were reading about, you know, Arius, one of the, the very first heretics of the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's condemned to hell by the council of Nicaea, you know, for all eternity, um, as a heretic for, you know, speculating on the inner life of God incorrectly. And, you know, growing up, I thought, oh, well, all heretics are these, you know, awful you know, people who are agents of Satan intentionally trying to deceive the church, you know, and he, you know, come to find out was a pastor, you know, just trying to help his people understand, um, you know, God and their relationship with God. Um, you know, that was kind of another, you know, big pivotal moment for me of like, you know, how much does God really care about how, I mean, theology is obviously important. You know, what I'm saying now and, you know, is theology, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there's foundational confessions of faith that lead me to where I am. But, um, you know, I, I'm not as concerned with how, you know, well you can articulate the various, um, you know, theories of atonement as I am with, you know, how you're welcoming the refugee, you know, or how Mm -hmm. you're, you know, loving that homeless person that you drive by, you know, every morning on the way to work. Yeah, I guess. So one of the important distinctions I would want to make and feel free to disagree with me, but one of the important distinctions I would want to make is, uh, is that, is that the gospel itself, and this is interesting because we just kind of did an episode on this talking about this, the gospel <laughs> itself is the good news of what Christ has accomplished for us, reconciling us to God. I would agree, I would totally agree that there are implications um, and that we're sanctified and called to live holy lives. Um, but for me, I guess one of the things I always am very sensitive about, especially, you know, coming from a reformed background, I wanted, I want to have a very... <laughs> clear fence around what is actually the gospel. And so for me, I think it's important to make that distinction. The gospel itself is the good news of what Christ has done for us. And we do respond to that with uh, loving others and, you know, seeking to obey God's law, which is loving God and loving others. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I w- we want to just, I would want to distinguish between the two carefully. <laughs> oh, I would, I would take the opposite approach okay. and would not at all. Um, yeah. I would, I would say that the, again, this is coming back to if the gospel is good news to the poor, then it's not just about, you know, this abstract concept of saving our souls from hell. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that reconciliation is, is a both and thing that it's something that's going on now in the present um, as much as it is, you know, a, a sort of, for, again, for me, salvation is not just about our souls. It's about our, mm-hmm. our, our bodies as well, um, you know, which is why, you know, Jesus breaks the bread and, and pours the wine. It's this is my body. You know, this is my blood, not my soul. Um, you know, and so I'm not – or this gets really deep, you know, platonic theology here. But, um, yeah, yeah, but yeah sure. I, I – and that's that's where I'm going. That's obviously like you said, where we disagree. I, I think those things – 
especially like loving our neighbor, I do not think is a response to our salvation. It's an expression of our salvation because it's Mm. the love of God working, the grace of God working through us so that that is what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Because again, you know, I see the reconciliation as something that's, that is very worldly as much as it is eternal. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I agree. And now we can yeah. just fight about it and punch each other and input. Yeah. See, this is the problem with Skype is there's no all caps to like scream at each other and and yeah. do like emojis yeah, and stuff. Really... <laughs> no, that's re- that's really good, and that's actually a very similar point that. Uh, and I I tend to to agree with you as well, Zach. Um, that's one thing Andy and I uh, disagree with um, or with each other on. But I think. Uh, Bruxy did a good job. He kind of talked about as Jesus is kind of the center, as the bullseye. And the closer he gets to Jesus, the more confident he is about what he's saying. And then things kind of go out from Jesus from there. And that's kind of how he talked about it. Um, and hopefully I'm not caricaturing or misrepresenting his position totally in any way. But his <laughs> that episode was good. I'm not even going to lie. I went back and listened to it a couple times because Bruxy is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, he's an Anabaptist uh, pastor. Anabaptist. Oh yeah, no, we have the same <laughs> publisher. He uh, he's a oh, Harold yeah. author. Yeah, yeah, Harold, that's awesome. So, I've never met you... him. He seems like a great guy. I read some of his stuff, but he's I, I don't know. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's a he's a cool dude. Um, <laughs> he's got yeah, a cool so name. Bruxy. Yeah, Bruxy Cavey. That right? is an interesting cool. name. That's a not cool a common name. name. No, but you know he's Canadian, so maybe yeah. in Canada <laughs> it's common. No, weird. Canada yeah. is weird. <laughs> Although they like hockey, so that, they've got that going for him. That's true. They got that going for him. Sweet. Well, with um, with some of the stuff, one question that I just I wanted to ask you, Zach. I know we're just kind of throwing a variety of things at you, um, but this is something. Sorry, I lost. There it is. Um, that somebody asked me, and I just kind of wanted to see what your thoughts were on it. Um, they said because I was talking about this rapture stuff and saying, you know, basically the kind of things you've been saying on the episode, and they're like, oh well, if that's the case, then what do you do with um, you know, in, in first Thessalonians chapter four, um, where it talks about that, uh, then, uh, it's verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So a lot of times that's like a rapture proof text, um, that people jump to. And I have ways that I like to, to answer that, but I'd be interesting if you haven't interested, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, um, lots of thoughts. I actually wrote a book on it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. it's called um, Unraptured. Wow, it's right here on my desk. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's yeah. It, one thing goes back to something you guys were talking about before about better ways of reading scripture. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, I think that's a great example of how we get ourselves into trouble by just ripping a, you know, a verse out of um, out of its context and saying, "Look here," because if you do, that sounds man, that sounds exactly like the rapture. Um, but then we have to ask ourselves, well, why was it for you know, uh, you know, eighteen hundred years that the church didn't read the, that passage that way, right? Right, um, right. Like that's something that you know should be you know question number one. Um, but you know, the, the thing is. Sorry, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. No, you're Paul fine. was thoroughly, thoroughly apocalyptic, right? Um, Very much so, yeah. You know, when he says things like, you know, I don't think he should get married, it's not because, you know, he's like, you know, a prude and doesn't want people, you know, <laughs> getting married. It's because he, he really believes Jesus is coming back, like, next week. And so, like, all of these kind of, a lot of these, like, quirky lifestyle things that he talks about are all because, you know, he's completely convinced that Jesus is returning next week. And so it's like, why would you waste your time with all these other things? And so, you know, we put that in some context, um, you begin to hopefully see some of his letters um, in a different way. And that's what Thessalonians is. It's, it's a real mm-hmm. letter, you know, to a real church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, I, I don't, I'm terrible with Greek. I turned in like <laughs> one assignment in my, my Greek class in college. Um, but anyway, you know, he, he definitely believes Jesus is returning. And that passage is definitely about the return of Jesus, but it's about yeah. the second coming. It, it, it's not about, you know, the rapture. Um, this is for, for Paul, the culmination of the life of church is this language, you know, that, that John picks up in revelation of this marriage of the bride of Christ, you know, um, 
coming in the air or whatever. But but I mean, he's using poetic language there. Um, even mm-hmm. if he believes, you know, in a literal sort of meeting in the clouds, this is the culmination of the faith. It's not a moment before the culmination of the yeah. faith, if, if that makes sense. He's not, he doesn't describe a tribulation and everything coming after that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. that's the end for him. Hey, this is the return of Jesus that we've all been waiting for because he went up in the clouds of the ascension and now all of that's coming together, you know, as one for Paul. But, but yeah, there's like, that's a great way to put it. There's nothing after that passage, like, oh, we meet up in the clouds <laughs> and then Kirk Cameron is going to save us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think too, people get hung up on that word apocalyptic too. We're talking about apocalyptic literature, you know, in our culture, we say apocalypse, you see movies titled apocalypse and it's the end of the world and things blowing up and cities burning down. Like 2012. Really, oh, yeah, like 2012. It is a great movie. <laughs> I hated it so much when it came out, but I've, I've grown, like, those movies are, like, my happy place. They're just so dumb go. and terrible, and yeah. I love them so much. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> Have you ever seen I The Core? It. No. No. Oh, it's, like, next level bad. Like, it's, like, no. <laughs> sci-fi movie bad, um, but it stars, like, Aaron Eckhart and, um, like, All some right. other famous people, and it's just, it's so bad, it's good. It's called The Core? Awesome. Yeah, so, like... They have to, like, drill down to the center of the Earth to restart the Earth's core by blowing oh. up a bunch of nukes. Wow. It's completely insane. And That's I just, hardcore right there, man. Yes. It, no, it's, it's insane. <laughs> it's, it's horrible, wow. but you, you should watch it. All right. I kind of no, want to check great. that out. Um, it is interesting to Wait. me just to note that the rap, rapture theology just feels, like, so in line with humanity's fascination with the end of the world, which is oh, not sure. something specific to our time, but it's something that has gone on for millennia in in every religion in every culture there's like this this kind of fast and it it uh ebbs and flows like it it reaches peaks and stuff but there's always this morbid fascination with the end of the world yeah for sure interesting yeah and then uh you know once once you start throwing around that word apocalypse people lose their their minds but a helpful distinction that um you know, that I, I found was uh, apocalypse. I mean, it simply just means like a revealing to reveal yeah. something. And so a lot of scripture is written in apocalyptic literature. It's, it's a language that the people would have understood at the time. They get it. They understand. And the best way that the best metaphor I've ever been given for it, actually um, heard from a dude, Andy, I'll say his name, but don't Uh-oh. don't discredit I'm it because shudder. of his name. Uh, so Greg Boyd did oh, a really I knew good it was series. Be Greg Boyd. <laughs> Dude, Boyd ah. did such a good series on it. It was fantastic. His no. series, Rescuing Revelation, Sorry, is continue. great. But he used uh, uh, a metaphor of this painting that Picasso did uh, called Guernica. My yep. German is terrible. Um, but basically, it's a painting of a German town being bombed by the Nazis. And if you look at the painting, you will not get that at all. It's very much a Picasso. It's ridiculous looking. But what he was doing was, uh, you know, he was using this imagery to describe a real life event. But if you start looking at his picture and like asking all these random questions like, well, like, why is that dude over there? And why is there a cow? And what's that eye doing? And how old is that person? Like you're missing the point of the painting. The painting's trying to express something to you. Um, like an emotion. It's trying to make you feel something. It's trying to get the, at the core of something. If you wanted to just, you know, take a photograph, um, I'm bad on my history. So maybe Picasso could have just taken a picture <laughs> of the, 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 the bombing, but he didn't, he made this painting. And so it's kind of similar to, to when we're right, you know, reading apocalyptic literature, we have to keep those kind of things in mind. It's not a roadmap. Yeah. Of yeah. The it's times. not. Yeah. So, um, Another, I, I know we're probably starting to near the end of our time, but another just quick uh, question I wanted to lob out to both of you, since you seem to be on similar pages theologically. Um, when you talk about the gospel being good news for, like, this life, and especially good news for the poor, and, like, um, wh- how do you reconcile that or square that or harmonize that with um, passages such as, like, in, when in First Corinthians 15, Paul says... Uh, if we have hope in this life only, we are of mo- of all people to be most pitied. Um, so passages that seem to point very heavily towards hope in, in eternity. What what do you do with stuff like that? Oh, go ahead. Do it. Okay, I was going to say, I wouldn't necessarily pit that off against the kind of uh, belief or understanding that I have. Yeah. Um, I just think basically the way, like a good metaphor I try to 
teach my students is that like living as Christians is almost like a sneak preview, like a, like the film preview you get at the movie theater for a movie coming up that like you get to, you know, find really cool things and information and bits about it, but it's not the whole thing. And so like the kingdom yeah. of heaven is this, this already not yet thing where it's been inaugurated um, and we get to live into that. And so if we, if we have this hope in this, you know, eternity, um, you know, with God, when heaven and earth are restored and they're redeemed and, and God, you know, writes, puts everything back to right and, and those kind of things. And, you know, we get to live with God and, and he'll be our God and we'll be his people. And, you know, his presence will, will fill the earth like waters fill the sea. Um, if we have that hope and we believe that, then why can't we start living now as if it's true? So we can be bringing, so to speak, bits of heaven on earth now almost as like a preview. So living out that hope. So like what I tell my students is like, if you like in, in eternity, there's not going to be any more war and violence. So be peaceful now. There's not, you know, there's not going to be these, these distinctions with like the rich and the poor. So help take care of the poor now, like the kind of things that we're hoping for and looking for in eternity, we can start living into those things here and now. And I actually think that our salvation is a calling into that. That it's not, you know, an afterlife insurance policy. It's not a, a fire policy, Which so I to wouldn't speak. say that is the case right. either. <laughs> I, and no, I agree with you. I, I know you wouldn't say that. Um, but that more so it's, it's something that we're called into here. And now that we get a partner with God to announce his good news and help bring, you know, we're restored as image bearers of, of Christ. And we get to help, um, you know, bring those things uh, to the here and now. So we get to look, look forward to that hope. Um, but we just get to do that in a way that's practical here and now. So I, I wouldn't pit the two against each other. Zach, yeah, I would, I would echo that too. I mean, he, there's definitely a qualifier in that passage of, um, you know, only, right? <laughs> so I think he's just drawing a distinction between um, what he would consider like godliness uh, or godly. Godlessness, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> so, like, if you're only with this life and there is no, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a good theological word, if God is not in the equation, if Jesus, is, if the incarnation, you know, is not, the resurrection is not at play, all these sorts of confessions of faith, like, if that is not in play and we only have this life, then, you know, we're be pitied, but we don't. We have this resurrection life, this resurrection mm-hmm. power that is breaking into the here and now. Um, but then I would do a couple other things. I mean, one, and this is something I talk about, um, you know, in my book is I lean heavily on um, uh, St. Augustine for my hermeneutic for how I read scripture um, because he leans heavily on Jesus. And Augustine uh, in On Christian Theology says, you know, essentially I'm paraphrasing here, um, you know, whatever your interpretation is, no matter how great, you know, you think your exegesis is or how many proof texts you have, if it doesn't cause you to um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and your neighbors yourself, then you're wrong, you know, which is just the greatest commandment, you know, which is Jesus saying, um, you know, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So all scripture hangs on this. And so if I read a passage like that, then um, especially, you know, completely shipped away from the rest of, you know, Paul's letter, um, I have to look at that and say, well, is this leading, uh, you know, me to love my neighbor? And if it's not, if it's leading me to this spirit, you know, hyper spiritualized focused on eternity, then I must be reading this passage wrong. And so, um, you know, for me, I, I have, I'm coming back to, um, you know, that, that greatest commandment as, as the center of my understanding for how I interpret scripture. Um, and then also again, um, you know, that Matthew 25 is very much the center of my understanding of the gospel. Cause I think it was for Jesus. Um, and then I also kind of one of those terrible red letter Christian people. Who, uh, <laughs> Josh is uh, that too. Say what? <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I mean, I, I am, you know, I've been, you know, a member of, of that for a while, but, uh, I do privilege the words of Jesus over Paul, but not in a, way to negate Paul because I think um, for the most part you know they're obviously you know very in sync because he's an apostle um, right you know so it's not like they're they're combating each other except when he says slaves obey your masters for it's right in the Lord I don't I'm not sure Jesus would be totally on board with that <laughs> one. but but that's yeah. a whole other discussion but that's yeah, I mean, another episode <laughs> that is we'll a whole other episode. episode absolutely that would be a fun episode I'm all for it <laughs> yeah Awesome. Well, thanks. I just I was just curious to get your thoughts on that. That's um, a great question. Any other thoughts as we're coming to 
the close of the episode. Anything else anyone wants to throw in, throw out there? Yeah, I just have one more question uh, for you, Zach. Um, so people, you know, think about yourself um, when you were like fully engrossed in the, the rapture theology, rapture culture, if that's even a word for it. I don't know. But just that kind of those kind of ideas and understandings. What would you say to somebody that is there now today and they're struggling to kind of like they're interested in, in looking outside of that? Um, or maybe they're not. What would you say to like maybe even your old self, if you want to think about it that way, um, to kind of help push them in a direction that you would deem more uh, biblically uh, responsible and, and helpful and more healthy? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, it's... I guess my question would be, can you find the courage to admit that you might be wrong? Mm. Um, because I couldn't. Right. Like, I mean, that, that's something I talk about in my book um, mm-hmm. a lot. And I think it's, you know, kind of we talked earlier about how the fear of hell drives a lot of theology today. Um, I think one of the greatest pro- problems that we have in the church is this incapacity to to admit the, even the possibility that we might be wrong about things that even things that are central, you know, to our faith. Right. Or at least the faith that we've constructed for ourselves, um, because, again, it goes back to the idea of, you know, salvation if we if we take salvation by faith alone to mean salvation by right beliefs, then if we are wrong about one of those beliefs, then then we may be going to hell. And so the idea that we you know could be wrong or, or would admit we're wrong almost becomes like sinful, you know, in a way. Um, it certainly becomes terrifying, and it gets pushed off the table. It's not a possibility because if I'm wrong, then I may be going to hell. Um, mm. You know that for me, that was the biggest thing to overcome. In my spiritual journey, um, beyond just the rapture stuff, you know, admitting that I was possibly wrong about the rapture was just the first step in admitting that, you know, I might be wrong about a lot of things. You know, growing up, you know, my myopathy wasn't just towards the end of the world. It was also towards, you know, people who only looked and thought and believed and talked like me. And so, you know, I thought Muslims were all scary, terrible people. You know, I thought um, atheists were out to trick me and deceive me and that, you know, this person and that person and anybody that you could imagine was all my enemy because if they didn't look and think and act and believe in like me, then they must be an agent of Satan. So, mm-hmm. you know, my, I guess my, maybe then a, rather than a question would be a challenge is would be to, to open up yourself to the possibility um, that you might be wrong, you know, about something that's super important and, and have the faith or find comfort in the fact that, that that crisis of confidence is actually very biblical. Um, you know, you see it all throughout scripture. I mean, um, the one image that comes to my mind is, is the image of uh, Peter and the sheet that, dr- that drops from heaven in the book of Acts where the, the, head, the sheet drops with all these unclean animals and he's told to take and eat. Peter says, no, these are unclean. And then, you know, it repeats itself over and over again. And, you know, this idea of what is clean and unclean was firmly fixed in, in Peter's um, theology and his beliefs because he found it in scripture and he had all the verses to back it up. But God was doing a new thing and God was opening up his eyes. The, the Holy Spirit was moving in his life to, um, oh, again, open up his eyes to a, a deeper truth, you know, um, to to um, to a better understanding of the gospel and what God's grace looks like. Um, and, you know, I, I think the challenge for us is, is to find, you know, the humility that the early church found um, in, in opening their eyes to, to the movement of the spirit. And that's a lot easier said than done. I mean, it, you know, it, you can read it in a couple chapters in my book, but, you know, that those couple chapters are covering, you know, several years and, and mm-hmm. a lot of heartache. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and then last last one, real quick. Are there any, like, so aside from your book, we're going to keep plugging your book, Unraptured by Zach <laughs> Hunt, How End Times Theology Gets It Wrong. Uh, besides your book, which is obviously everybody's first choice they should go oh, there obviously. first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are there any other helpful resources that maybe you found helpful or, or yeah. that you would point other people to as well? Yeah, two in particular. Um, well, three, actually. Um, okay. One is a, uh, I'll plug a friend of mine's book uh, by Jason Boyette. It's called A Pocket Guide to the Apocalypse. Um, I actually talk about it in my book, and it's a really easy um, uh, guide to the apocalypse. He breaks down all, like you were talking earlier, when you guys were talking earlier about. Um, this historical fear of the end and, you know, the apocalypse. And he traces all these various prophecies 
in predictions of the end. He breaks down all the terminology and the chronology for all this stuff in very, really easy to read um, ways, but also very funny. He's he's a hilarious guy. Um, Barbara Rossing has a book called the Rob, the Rapture Exposed. Um, that's okay. really good. It's a little, yeah, it's it's great yeah. book. I use that a lot. Um, and it, it talks about a lot of these, uh, you know, contemporary problems, you know, that, that the rapture causes, the end times dispensationalism theology causes. And the third one would be Revelation, the People's Commentary by Pablo Richards. Um, that probably had one of the biggest impacts on me and how I read the book of Revelation. He's a um, liberation theologian from Brazil, and so he's reading the book of Revelation from a social justice perspective, which is a perspective I had never read it before, um, and it, it just completely opened my eyes to a new way of reading and, and understanding of the book of Revelation. And it's a commentary, and so you'll run into some like some technical stuff, but it's not uh, a super dense academic. It's very easy uh, to read. I mean, you don't, you know, some theological training would help, but you don't need, you know, a uh, an MTIF to be able to understand what he's talking about. Sweet. Awesome. Cool. That's thankful. We'll try to, I wrote those down, Andy, so we can try to get those in the, show notes. in the show notes. Wonderful. Yeah. And we'll also plug and put in Zach's book in the show notes as well. Maybe. I don't know. We'll <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Zach, thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your night to talk with us. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for the great questions. I, I, these are some of the best questions I've been asked um, recently. Oh, so I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we're glad. Yeah, so so thank you for joining us. Do you have a website or anything we can we can share as well? Yeah, so um, there is ZachHunt.net. I, it's kind of static at the moment. Um, I've been blogging recently at Pathios.com um, oh, okay. you know, on their Progressive Christian channel. But people can find me. Most of my rantings and ravings now are on Twitter or Facebook. Um, it's at Z-A-A-C-K-H-U-N-T, at Zach Hunt, because um, somebody stole the real spelling of my name so a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, one of those, um, or if you want to look at pictures of my barbecue, I'm on Instagram too. Nice. Dope. All right, there you go. Hey, yeah, I saw you were at the draft. Not to stalk you, but we followed you with our <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, with our Instagram feed, and you were at like the draft or something recently, the NFL draft. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was crazy. They said there was like half a million, six hundred thousand people <laughs> wow, over the weekend. Um, good thing no one got raptured there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been a good place to go though. It was fun. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Awesome. Well, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, Other than that, I'm trying to thank Josh if we have anything we have to say. Uh, You know, as always, you can find us on social media. Yeah, we're on Facebook. We have a discussion group on Facebook. Join that. Interact with us. That's fun. We're on Twitter. Uh, We're on Instagram. And uh, we have our website, theologydoesn'tsuck.com. We occasionally blog there. We have some, you know, past episodes, bios about us, all that kind of stuff. You can contact us on our website if you have questions, episode suggestions, all that jazz. To call Andy a heretic, um, that's the only reason you, to use the contact page. Okay, Josh, which one of us is really the heretic? <laughs> anyway, um, and also, please rate and review this podcast. Um I was looking. I don't think you can rate and review in Spotify, but if you're on like other apps like Apple Podcasts or Podbean mm-hmm. or something like that, you can, I believe. So yes, please, please rate us. You even leave a comment. You know that helps us get discovered by other people. Uh, and uh, until next time, Josh, go ahead and say it. Come on. Go abs. Yeah, go abs. That's right. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>